Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. Sound. 
Someone 
take the broken things and raise them to glory. You are my champion. Giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every battle you've won, I am who you say. Power of your name. 
champion Jesus Christ a hand of applause this morning. In an effort to, to share Jesus around the world, sometimes we struggle to know exactly how we can do that in certain settings and certain situations. Over this past week, we have watched some devastating things take place around the world. Last Saturday, there was an earthquake that took place in Haiti, in South Haiti, that uh, was devastating, devastating to communities, devastating to families, loss of life in a country that was already extremely poor and going through its own uh, extreme struggles from a government standpoint as their president had been assassinated just a few weeks before. And they have struggled, struggled to know how to respond, struggled to know how to, to get back on their feet to, to receive help and aid, and, and they're still struggling. And because of that, there are people in the country who are living in fear, who are afraid of what the next moment is going to be. They're afraid of what the next wake up is gonna feel like. And fear runs through the country. Another part of the world, many of us have been in prayers this week for Afghanistan. And all that is taking place there and the people of Afghanistan and the people who are in Afghanistan who are afraid, who are scared for their lives, who are living in fear, who are stepping way outside of their comfort zone in so many different ways just in an effort to get away from how afraid they are. And we don't know how we can help. And the answer comes back to Jesus. And the answer comes back to our prayer to a God that we believe in and that we trust in. And so I'm gonna ask this morning if we would spend just a moment in prayer for the people in other parts of the world, some who are followers of Jesus and some who are not, some who are Americans and some who are not, and that we would pray for those people who are afraid and who are living in fear fear that can actually only be washed away through the truth and the protection and the reality of the one true God. And so I'm gonna ask that we would stand together right now and may we just spend a moment in prayer for the people of our world. God, we thank you that we can come to you in the midst of really anything that's happening in life and come to you in, in the midst of anything that, that we are struggling with. And what we struggle with now is we know that, that we are to share you and we struggle to share you in parts of the world that we can't get to. And we know that you are the answer to much of the fear that is surrounding situations that are um, physically disastrous and others that are emotionally disastrous. And God, we would ask right now that you would intervene that you would protect, that you would provide, 
that you would bring peace, that you would bring comfort in an, uh, a way that is only you. That in a place like Haiti that um, has religion and practices that are a long way away from you, that what would come in the middle of this is the truth of you. That in a place like Afghanistan that has become um, selfishness that is king and a, a drive towards things that are so far away from you that the presence of you and the peace that comes from you would, would shine bright in that country and that people would know that you are the one and only true God. And God, that through these fearful moments, your love and your grace and your peace would shine, would shine through people who follow you, would shine through the miracles that you have done already this week and that you will continue to do. And God, we just ask that there would be hearts that would be open to your truth in the middle of the fear. We thank you that we know that comfort and we know that peace in our life because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Have you ever um, sat down to write a letter or to write an email or maybe even to, to write a text and you got ready to do it and you kind of started your fingers moving on multiple occasions, but what was sitting in front of you was that blank screen and it seemed like a lot of blank screen, a lot of space to fill up with what you're about to say and and it's not that you don't know what to say, it's that you're not sure exactly how to say it and you wanna make sure that you say it in the right way. And so maybe you write down a few words or you maybe you get a whole sentence in and then you end up kind of uh, highlighting all of that and deleting it all. You start in again a few words down the page, you delete those and then that blank page is staring at you and now that blank page has, that blank screen has started to have a life of its own and it seems to be staring back at you, okay? And it's mocking you because of how blank it is. That blank screen is something that I've been staring at a lot this week. And I've stared at it because, not because I don't have anything to say. And not because I haven't read enough or studied enough or am educated enough in, in the subject for the, for the day. But because I wanna make sure that I say what I mean to say in the way that I mean to say it. And even more importantly than that, that there's honor and glory brought to God in the middle of it. And so you can probably gather from that that this is kind of an important question that we're talking about today in this series, That's a Great Question. And the question that is in front of us is a controversial question in our culture and in our society. It is a question that comes with some very strong emotions and some very strong opinions. And it is a subject that has proven to be powerfully divisive. And so, let me start with this. No matter your political leanings, no matter your background, no matter your race, no matter your choices in relationships or even in marriage, 
No matter your opinions or even your choices about sexuality, you matter to God. He loves you. And he cares about you. And he has a plan for your life and for your life to be the absolute best that it can be. And I I see that, I believe that because I read about it all over the Bible. But maybe nowhere as specifically as in the life of Jesus. That in the life of Jesus, what we see is the character of God. And what we see in Jesus is that people matter to God because Jesus came here for a purpose and part of his purpose in being here was to give us a glimpse of who God is and what God thinks of us. And Jesus made that clear when he was talking to Philip in John chapter 14 and he said this, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so you can review the life of Jesus as it shows up in the Gospels and what you will see over and over and over and over again is that people mattered to Jesus. All people mattered to Jesus because all people matter to God. So it starts there. But here's the second part. All people matter to me. See, I'm a follower of Jesus, which means I'm an imitator of Jesus. And as an imitator of Jesus, I am trying to follow what Jesus did and does. And because all people mattered to Jesus, all people matter to me. Now, do people frustrate me and disappoint me and hurt me and irritate me and make me so angry I can't see straight? Yes, but I'm working on it. Do I disagree with people sometimes? Do I think that some people's conclusions are wrong? Do I find that some of the arguments that people use for why they do what they do and why they live the way they live are really kind of couched in selfishness because they just want to do what they want to do? Is that how I see it? Yes. But I've also come to recognize that I do the exact same thing just on different issues. But here's where all of this gets really messy in our culture and in our society. It gets messy because we are flawed human beings. And it gets messy because even as Christians, we are flawed followers of Jesus. And so it gets messy when what I believe is right is not what someone else thinks is right. And we are in conflict. And it's from that place that our question comes for today. So here's the question. 
What should Christians do in a world that celebrates homosexuality? And how do we take a stand for truth? So let me address that question very intentionally this morning. Here at First Christian Church, we have five core values. Now these five core values are, are very important values that we hold up as a church and everything that we do and everything that we teach, we put up against those values. And if it doesn't match up with those five core values, we're not gonna teach it, we're not gonna do it, it's not gonna be a part of who we are. And those five core values are in order. And so the number one core value is the most important core value that we hold. And here at First Christian Church, that number one core value is that we honor biblical authority. Above opinion, above percentages of popularity, above what I want to believe because it would make my story work out better, above what I want to believe because it would make my friend's story work out better, above all of that is the truth that the Bible is God's word. That the Bible is God's truth. And that it is as strongly relevant in our society, in our culture, in our lives today as it has ever been. So, in a culture that celebrates and has all but normalized homosexuality, same-sex relationships, and same-sex marriage, what does the Bible say? Well, starting with God's original design for human sexuality and human relationship, I want to go all the way back to the beginning. Okay, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and the creation of humanity. And when we get back to Genesis chapter 2, here's what the Bible says. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so what did God do? The Lord God made a woman and he brought her to the man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So within this context, we see God's original design, God's original creation for um, a number of different things. First of all, God created sexual identity. He was the one that designed us male and female. He made us that way on purpose. And the purpose for man and woman, for male and female, was not just for the sake of identity. It was not just so that there would be kind of two forms of humanity within humanity. But it goes further than that. It wasn't just about identity, it was about intimacy between the two. We see that right here in these verses in Genesis chapter 2, which means that when it comes to the subject of marriage, marriage is not merely about my personal opinion. That marriage is not just about a contract. Marriage is not just about tax returns or health insurance. It was more than identity between man and woman. It was intimacy. 
It wasn't identity, but intimacy that would cause a man to leave behind the comforts that he knew with his mom and dad, where they were taking care of him and doing everything for him, and leave that behind to go and be united with his wife, where the two would become one. That was the perfection of creation as God designed and created humanity. But as we've been saying through this whole series, it seems... We live in a broken world. We live in a world that is not functioning the way that it was created to function. Enter homosexuality. And homosexuality departs from God's design and God's creation of sexual identity and and sexual intimacy. And this is not a new thing. This is not a struggle that's just popped up in the last few decades. It's not something that's just been around for a century or so. This has been part of our world for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, going all the way back into the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus, the Bible says this, do not practice homosexuality. It is a detestable sin. That's pretty clear. And then you just flip a page or two in Leviticus and you get to this description. If a man practices homosexuality, having sex with another man as with a woman, both men have committed a detestable act. The same truth is part of the New Testament as well. It's not just this is an Old Testament thing, this is an Old Covenant thing, and then the cross came along and now it's all about love and it's all about grace, and therefore this doesn't exist anymore. The same thing appears in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, Paul says this, They traded the truth about God for a lie. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationship with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And there are all kinds of other verses that appear in both the Old Testament and New Testament that that I'm not going to read for you now, but they're there. And what I can tell you is that across the board, In every moment in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament alike, where homosexual behavior is discussed, it is condemned without question, without qualification. The Bible is not unclear. The Bible is not ambiguous. But there are some who want to still argue about it. And they even want to argue about what the Bible says. And the argument would be that the Bible may have mistranslated something along the way and that things got messed up. And there are some that would even argue about this passage from Leviticus that uh, talked about homosexuality and and that in a, a German translation of the Bible that was even used during the Reformation in Europe that was a significant part of faith spreading around the world that the German translation of the Bible misused a word that was that was translated as homosexuality but the word that was used could be translated as um, prostitution or as sexual abuse and that may very well be true in the German language but the Bible wasn't written in German When you go back to the original language of the Old Testament Hebrew, the New Testament Greek, the words that are used there can't be translated as anything else but homosexuality. The Bible is not unclear. It is not ambiguous. 
There are others who would argue and say, wait a second, why is it that we really begin to hammer home on things that we want to hammer home on, but we leave other things alone? And this actually came through in in even some of the questions that came in, as there were people who would say, well, we seem to really come down on homosexuality in the church, but we leave other things alone that are talked about in Leviticus because we don't seem to have a big sermon um, condemning the subject of eating shellfish. Is it talks against that in Leviticus? Or about cutting your sideburns. We don't really seem to get too hung up about that or, or having tattoos. And without getting too off track and, and getting away from our main question, let me just kind of say something very quickly um, without going too far down the road of biblical literacy and hermeneutics and, and diving into all of that. But within the book of Leviticus, within what's being shared there with us, there is a whole world of teaching in Leviticus that is specifically directed towards the issue of temple rituals. Because there were so many parts of cultic practices that were happening around the world that the people of God were adapting into their own lives. And there was condemnation being brought against those temple rituals in their life. Specifically against what they were practicing because of other religions and because of other cults that were happening at the time. And those had time frames to them. And then within the book of Leviticus, not kind of mixed in with everything else, there is a whole other world of teaching that is all about moral law and how we are to be as human beings for our time here on earth. And the teaching that's there is timeless. And so the teaching that's over here has a time limit. The teaching that's over here is timeless. They're not the same thing and they cannot be applied the same way. But let me get back to our original question. The biblical conclusion remains the same. God created human beings as male and female. And he meant for sexual intimacy to happen between a man and a woman. And just to be abundantly clear, to take it all the way down the road so that we're talking about all the things that are going on in our culture and our society and the way of thinking and the opinions that we want to have, God meant for sexual intimacy to happen between a man and a woman alone within the relationship of marriage. And because that's what the Bible says, The result is that the Bible sees any departure from that design to be outside of God's will for our lives. Outside of how life works best for us. But even as I lay that out, it seems as though I'm contradicting how we started this thing. That it's in conflict with this idea that all people matter to God. That God loves all people. That God cares about all people. That God wants what's best for all people. And in turn, it can seem as though and sound as though I'm contradicting myself because I said that I'm for all people. And it sure doesn't sound like I'm for all people. And here's why that is. It's because we... We have become culturally trained to hear disagreement 
as hatred. That if I disagree with you, I must not like you. That if I disagree with you, I am against you. And I would argue that when I read through the Gospels, and I pay attention to the life of Jesus, Jesus disagreed with many, many people that he continued to love. And Jesus disagreed with people that he continued to have a relationship with and he continued to hang out with, even though they disagreed with him. In fact, the only time that we see Jesus get really hot and bothered and angry with people because of their disagreement with him is with people who were claiming to be godly and were claiming to be righteous and were claiming in some cases to even be followers of him, but they were living lives that were outside of God's will and God's want for their life. But we live in a world right now where it's all or nothing. And this is where the struggle comes from, or at least a portion of it. As humanity, we have come to a place where the only way that we will feel heard is if you 100% agree with me, if you approve of me, if you will affirm me and my opinion. Anything short of 100%, anything short of approval, and you're against me. You don't like me, and we are enemies. Following and imitating Jesus, I can disagree with you and still love you and still care about you and still want the best for you. And there are people who will hear what the Bible has to say on this subject of homosexuality, maybe even folks who are in this room, and they will be offended by what the Bible says. And I can still love them. And I can still care about them. And I can still want the best for them. But that is a conflict that exists in our world. That if you won't 100% agree with me, then we are against each other. And that is not how Jesus lived. So that conflict exists between what our culture celebrates and what scripture says. They are, they are not the same thing. But then there is another clash that makes this subject very difficult. And this is a clash that I think exists quite specifically in the church. On matters of morality and humanity, there is often a desire, and that's not even strong enough, I think there is often an obsession with being right. We so want to be right and we want to be acknowledged as right, and we want to be heard as right, and we want somebody to tell us that we are right. And while we're waiting for all that to happen, camps are built, fires are lit, lines are drawn, 
all for our quest to be right. And in some cases, it has become the most important thing to our faith. Not love, not grace, not mercy, but right. So in a quest to be right, we are willing to break and lose relationships and we don't care if the breaking of those relationships means that people lose a relationship with Christ as long as what is right is accepted as right and I'm here to tell you that that's wrong. This is the burdening challenge that I am feeling about the church these days. And this is something that goes beyond this subject of homosexuality, but it certainly touches on it. But it moves over into other areas where we have decided that these are moral and human standards that we want to talk about and share and share our opinion about. And some of them are moral and human standards that are talked about in the Bible, and we want to make sure that we are declared to be right. But some of them have nothing to do with that, but we have still decided that we want to be declared as right And if the number of hours that are spent arguing and debating and social media commenting and online article reading and YouTube video sharing about the conflicts that are happening in our country, which do include sexual identity and sexual orientation, racism, but also include COVID response and masks and vax and Delta variants. If all of those hours, and we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of hours, if those hours would have been spent in conversations and in discussions about Jesus and who Jesus really is and how he really loves and he really has grace and he really has forgiveness for all, if that's how we spent those hours, I wholeheartedly believe that the kingdom of God would be advancing in significant ways, immeasurable ways that it is not right now. In the name of Jesus, we want to be right. There are some wonderful causes that are out in our world. And they are causes that are tangential to Jesus. Okay, you can see Jesus from those causes. You can see the nature of Jesus within those causes. But the causes aren't really about Jesus. And the causes don't lead people to Jesus and the causes don't share the love clearly defined as Jesus' love with anybody. And the hope for the souls of this world is not rightness. And it's not legislature. And it's not liberals or conservatives or our opinions. The hope for the souls of this world is Jesus. So let me close with just a few very important things. It is one thing 
to be against homosexuality and to affirm that the Bible rejects the practice of same-sex lifestyles, which I believe it does. But it is another thing to be against homosexuals and villainize people because they are living a lifestyle that goes against God's will for their life. We are all sinners. Without Jesus Christ in our life, we are all sinners. Christ died for all of us because all of us, apart from him, live lives that are outside of God's lifestyle for us. And I don't know what that particularly means for you, but a prideful lifestyle and a selfish lifestyle and a self-abusive lifestyle and an emotionally or physically abusive lifestyle, a lifestyle of drunkenness, a lifestyle that puts the sacred relationship of marriage, your marriage, in jeopardy, all of those lifestyles are outside of God's will for your life. I also want to remind us that the desires and the temptations and the wants and the societal gravitational pulls of this world are real and they are alluring. But temptation and desire is not sin. Every one of us is in a battle. The issues are different. The temptations and the desires may not be the same for every single person, but all of us are battling against the temptations and the desires that we have attacking our lives. And the church is not made up of perfect people. We are, every one of us, in recovery for sin sickness. There's a parable that Jesus tells that I heard a lot when I was a kid, but I haven't heard it a lot lately. And I don't know if it's just gotten lost in the weeds or maybe it's one of those parables that we're starting to understand a little bit more and we just don't like what it has to say. It shows up in Luke chapter 18 and here's the parable that Jesus tells. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Without Jesus, we will all stand before God as sinners condemned. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you know his grace. And you know grace that has poured over you. 
that has covered up your sins to the point that when you stand before God now, because of Jesus and because of his grace and because of the sacrifice that he made for you, when you stand before God, God sees Jesus in you. But for the rest of your time here on earth, Jesus has given each of us a mission. And as far as the mission goes, being right is secondary to leading people to the love of Jesus Christ. There's no denying the authority of the Bible on the issue of homosexuality. The truth of God's will for sexuality in humanity is right there, it is clear, it is not ambiguous. And that has far more power and far more authority than opinions or anecdotes or comforts or desires. But here's what else the Bible says. The Bible also says that I am for all. That I am a imitator of Jesus. And Jesus is for all. The truth of the Bible is clear. And as an imitator of Jesus, someone can disagree with me and I can still love them and I can still care about them and I can still want the very best for them. It is how I imitate Jesus who is for all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a broken world and you know that, God, and it is sometimes difficult for us to navigate truth and grace. And sometimes when we find comfort in how clear and concise your truth is. We forget to also recognize that your truth is a mission to share your love and your grace and your mercy with all. God, would you forgive us when we have gotten out of balance in those two things. Would you forgive us when we have been judgmental about something we could find chapter and verse on and then hidden away our same lifestyle that is outside of your will. God, would you help us to have as the highest priority our willingness to share your love to share your love first and foremost, and then begin to share the life that you have planned for each of us. God, we love you. 
but we only know about love because of your love for us, love that was able to move past the significant disobedience that we brought at you and to save us through the sacrifice of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you'd stand with me this morning. This morning we have an opportunity to worship and celebrate our God. The one who has brought us to him. The one who has shown us love beyond measure. But maybe, maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Maybe today can be a day that you say yes to him, that you're baptized in his name, that you understand his forgiveness and his grace just washing over you from this point forward. Or maybe today needs to be a day that, that you say, hey, I want to be a part of First Christian Church as they lean into God in the midst of that. If you have a decision to make this morning, we invite you to come as we sing together. But may we worship and may we celebrate and may we lift our voices in praise to the one who knows us so well and knows all of the brokenness that is in us and loves us unconditionally. Let's sing and worship and celebrate together.
Stop. Stop. 